Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso, And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, how to lose a mooch in 10 days. Plus, shout out to the women senators who saved health care. The Cheetos' own opioid commission comes down with a rather interesting recommendation. White House security officials are not protected by Baron Trump's cyber. They were fished so hard. Plus, we roast the DCCC for saying it has no litmus test on abortions. We talk about how abortion refugees are a thing. We hear from some defenders of the Girl Scouts, and we take a couple of listener questions about debt guilt and body shaming group dynamics. Hey, girl. How's it going? Oh, my God. I'm just in a news tsunami over here. What about you? <laughs> I am not in a news tsunami. Tell me everything that's going on. I mean, okay, first of all, this podcast is, is less than an hour long, which means there's no possible way I could tell you everything that's going on. <laughs> but I will also say that we're recording rather early in the week. And the whole world could be upside down and different by Friday. I know we offer that caveat a lot, but like, it's true. It's so real. In like the past few days alone, we've gotten a new White House communications director. Mazel tov. You have a new job, boo-boo? Oh my God. Don't even insult me like that. (laughs) Listen, everybody has a price. I'm not sure that there is a price high enough. What price at what what price would it cost? Like what what is your buyout rate to take a job with the Cheeto administration? Uh, you know, honestly, this administration is tough because like fascism, not enough money in the whole world, obviously. To Ava Braun yourself? Yeah, no, hell no. Of course not. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I feel like Omarosa already has the job I would want. There can literally only be one. I mean, I feel like the real version of this question is like, what dollar amount would you would it take for you to take a job at Uber right now? Like, that's what I am like watching. Oh, my like, God. It, like, I mean, it would take a lot of money, but I feel that like I would go work at Uber before I went to work at the White House because at Uber, I mean, they have real money. Hello. I know. But it's also like it's like maybe just, like what's the dollar amount that it would take for you to like go be a real housewife? Ooh, um, I don't know. Well, you can you can use that platform to you know to build a real um, independent business. So real maybe. talk, real talk. So I don't know. Housewife money is good money. It's true. I think the long game with that is pretty good. But anyway, okay, we're totally derailed. So this week, okay, so it all began when new White House communications director Anthony Scaramucci called a New Yorker reporter and let off a stream of expletives about his coworkers without declaring it off the record. I think that was how this began, who in the span of 10 days uh, declined to attend the birth of his child because presumably he was so amped on this job and then was promptly divorced and then was promptly fired. Or I can't even, I don't even know if that was the order. I think he was divorced before he was fired. Oh my God. Tough Um, week for Italian Americans. Scaramucci for real though. Scaramooch, Scaramooch, I know. But speaking of real housewives, I hope his ex-wife becomes a housewife because clearly she is like 100% angling for it, right? Because all of his like divorce stuff is like leaked on page six. There are details that like only she would know. And 
it's very cruel, but also I was like, get your money right, girl. Like, well played, Deidre. Also, if you read like beyond the headlines on this, the baby is in the neonatal ICU. It's not like it was like NBD, like the chillest birth ever. Like it's actually like a medical issue that Mrs. Mooch, the the, the recently ex Mrs. Mooch, is dealing with on her own. All for like, ten days of glory in the White House. Oh my God. Also, just like, can you imagine being told the story about your birth and this is the story that you have to like hear? I mean, iconic page six birth story. I know. But also my favorite detail in all of this is how when the baby was born, he wasn't there. Deadbeat dad style. He like texted her, congratulations. I'll pray for her baby. And I love that like whatever terrible outlet it was looked up to see that they both had iPhones. So the conclusion is that like, he definitely sent her the congratulations confetti. Did you also see that speaking of his children, he has a kid, Anthony Jr., who has just graduated from high school. And on Friday, he was throwing his older son a graduation party that featured an appearance by French Montana. (laughs) It's like, it's a lot. There's a lot going on here. You know, (laughs) I like... I love it when page six gets political. It's like, thank you. This is the only way I want to receive my news. Uh, I I mean, I I saw Kumail Nanjiani tweet this week that the Scaramouche is like if cocaine were a person. And I can't stop thinking about like, oh what if other drugs were embodied in God. humans? That is so <laughs> true. Um. But yeah, okay. Also, also delightful meme about this entire thing is the newfound relevance of the late 90s Kate Hudson, Matthew McConaughey movie. Kate Hudson was the woman is driving me crazy. Matthew McConaughey. Hey, it's good to talk to you though, man. How to lose a guy in 10 days. True or false? All's fair in love and more. True. Great answer. Oh my God. So good. So, so, so good. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is one of the canon of rom-coms featuring a lady journo in the protagonist role. And in my opinion, not one of the best ones, but you know, like I'll take it. I'm like, I'm just saying it's at the, it's at the center of my van of interests. (laughs) You know, I remember watching it a lot on TV way back when in college, but I like have not revisited in a while. Maybe I'll do that for myself later. It does kind of make sense, though. It's, like, about her doing all of these terrible things in order to end her relationship. And obviously the gender issues are awful, but I'm like, what if Scaramouche is just doing this all to, like, deliberately end the relationship? I mean, when even the Cheeto is, like, you've gone too far, it's like, you must be doing it deliberately. Like, really? He's, like, a small, like, a little, like, terrorist. He, like, came in, exploded all over the place. Like, two people got fired, and then now he's gone. He, like, did his job. It's perfect. I mean, what do you think about the theory that this was all an elaborate Javanka plant to get rid of Reince as chief of staff? I mean, I think that that's what the news is saying. Like, people are saying. Like, I don't know (laughs) if it's true, but people are saying that's what's going on. Every week feels like a year, you know? In a weird way, I'm just like, wow, it's already August. Like, I remember when I thought, like, this could never come because I was so devastated in November. And I was like, oh, it's fine. These people are like fucking idiots. But at the same time, it's just like it's too much. My metabolism can't keep up. Okay, you're right. There's like a total whirlwind of things happening. But some of it is more serious than others. Some of it is like more real newsy than like just the White House, you know, male ego bloodbath that's happening. I know. So real news is what? 
Don Jr. probably definitely going to jail. Uh, probably, definitely. I probably, love that. Probably, definitely. <laughs> like, the family had to throw somebody overboard. It would be him. It's like, sorry. You're the ugliest one. It's true. Actually, that's debatable. <laughs> but, you know, like, there's no love for him. What else is going on? We're probably going to war in North Korea, like, by oh, Friday. Yeah. That's definitely going on. And I gotta say, this is some West Coast relevant news. I'm like, oh, your ICBMs are not making it all the way to Washington. Like, this is relevant to my Pacific Coast lifestyle. I'm not gonna lie. Every time I see those maps where they're like, what's the missile range of the North Korean missiles? I'm like, for once, Brooklyn is fine. And I like sleep better at night. Not to be really flip about it, even though I am being very flip about it. When war happens... Not if, but like when war happens, whoever it happens with, like we're going to find out on Twitter. You're just going to be sitting at home looking at bachelorette memes and then the president will tweet one thing and then like 12 minutes later he'll tweet the second statement and that's how you'll know what's going on. Like it's just bananas. We'll see great day at the White House and know someone has like attacked the country. Exactly. It's like, (laughs) oh my God. Uh, A den of incompetence. Yeah. Which is like um, both saving us and putting us at grave risk. Uh, so in, in other branches of our dysfunctional government, after we released last week's Straight Scam Express episode, John McCain carefully orchestrated. I mean, it was like, did you, did you watch footage of him casting this, his healthcare vote? Oh, like it I was, watched all of it because C-SPAN is the jam. He's such a drama queen. Like, what is it? A messy bitch who <laughs> lives for drama. I, yes. could not be- I could not believe this man. I could not believe this man. Yeah, I mean, basically, it was like, people were like, how are you going to vote? And he was like, watch the show. Like, he's not even pretending. Like, it's, it's 100%. I mean, and while I'm happy he voted the way he did, I'm like, don't pretend that this TV news declared maverick moment was anything other than a reputational move for you so you could have maximum spotlight. I'm like, good job voting, but like, you don't get a pat on the back because you voted the wrong way too. And you were just an opportunist. Oh, also in his statement the next day for why he didn't vote, he like made it very clear that he's not voting for it because the bill's not conservative enough. So like there's that. He's like, you're not killing enough people. But also like, you know, like no shocker to see the media just give him all the accolades where actually the people who like withstood the real pressure were Murkowski and Collins. But, um, you know, like women not getting credit, like what's new there? So it's just, yeah, par the course, par the course. And also shout out to Maisie Hirono, senator from Hawaii, who showed up to cast her vote while she is also in the middle of fighting cancer yeah. and is, you know, has not been subject to the same kind of praise that McCain has when it's like literally it's like the same illness, the same vote, only she's not grandstanding and like playing politics with other people's lives. She's oh, like, haven't yeah. you heard like breast cancer is a thing that all women get. And also like she's a liberal lady, so she's voting exactly how she should. The media is like so predictably like daft about this and it makes me so annoyed. <laughs> But I was reading like the follow-up. So some of the language that's been leveled, especially at Collins and Murkowski from men who were supposed to be their colleagues in the Senate has been like openly violent and threatening. 
especially in the run-up to the vote. And then I was reading some coverage of Lisa Murkowski being home in her district in Alaska last weekend. And like, don't get me wrong, I have no great love for Lisa Murkowski, but it described her constituents coming up to her crying and being like, thank you for voting down the bill. And I'm like, you know, maybe these women have figured something out that the rest of the Republican Party has not, which is that people don't want them playing politics with their health care and they want access to affordable care. Listen, Lisa Murkowski is a stone-cold lady, first of all. She, like, 100% got her job through nepotism. Shout out her dad for, like, giving her his Senate seat. And then, remember when the Tea Partiers, like, tried to oust her and she lost her Republican primary? And those Alaskan people wrote in her name, and that's how she, like, retained her seat. You can't mess with somebody with a hard-to-spell name who, like, wins on a fucking write-in. Like, no. I know. I know. I mean, and that's part of the thing, too, where I'm, I actually don't understand how, I mean, I, I know the answer to this, right? Like, I was going to say, I don't understand how the GOP thinks that this is a good idea in terms of people actually voting for them in the future to try to mess around with health care. But then I realize that they've got this whole voter suppression thing going on simultaneously and, like, think there'll be no accountability anyway. And, like, then it all comes together. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. Okay. Um, Politics. Can I tell you? Tell me. I want to tell you something that I feel kind of got buried this week that's also related to healthcare that I just wanted to mention, um, which is that, so you know how Mr. Ivanka, Jared Kushner, has, like, this strangely wide purview. Like he's working on like Middle East peace at the same time. He's working on like an opioid commission at the same time. You know, I mean, all of these crazy responsibilities. all of it. Well, so the opioid commission, which again is something that like the Cheeto commission directly and much like infrastructure, I'm like, good, look into it. Even knowing that they're probably not going to look into say pharmaceutical companies and they're more likely to look into other stuff, but whatever. I'm like, this is a public health issue. I agree. It, like it bears paying attention to. And the commission came back um, and they were like, guess what our number one recommendation is to, to combat this crisis. What is it? More Medicaid spending. Wow, that's really <laughs> awkward, man. I, like, that's awkward. I'm like, yes, sounds great to me. Like, why don't you get it together when your commission, even your compromised commission, is recommending more Medicaid? I mean, would do better if it were paired with some crackdowns on the way the pharmaceutical industry markets these highly addif- addictive drugs. But, like, whatever, you know, like, Medicaid, good place to start. okay medicaid for all if only this is how this is all gonna end it's just a matter of time and also wait so so you said you were catching up late on the news did you see this this phishing scandal as well oh my god the email thing i died will you explain to the people because i'm still like shaking my head and at first when i read the story on cnn i thought it was a parody i was like oh this is really funny and then it was like no no this is real Okay, so according to CNN, a, quote, self-described email prankster. I feel like often these people are described as hackers. But in this case, CNN is going with email prankster who lives somewhere in the United Kingdom. No, this guy's like a legit prankster, like legit prankster. This person uh, sent emails posing as different White House staff members to other you know, officials, including some national security officials. And I'm just like... Where is Baron on the whole cybersecurity thing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, some of these emails are incredible, including to go to, to go back to the mooch, 
this uh, so self-described prankster emailed Reince Priebus, or sorry, emailed as Reince Priebus, then White House Chief of Staff, to basically get the mooch even angrier than he already was. And it really is just like using masculinity, like toxic masculinity against toxically masculine men. Like that's what this whole email thing like says to me. At one point, fake Priebus was basically like, why are you even, what are you doing? And the real Scaramucci was like, you know what you did. A real man would apologize for what you did. <laughs> a real like, man would apologize. I really want to get to the bottom of what is the beef with those two. Like, I hope it's like something so trivial and petty. And this is like what has launched, like, like now two people's careers are done. I mean, I know we know what happens when government has like exclusively this kind of like toxic masculinity represented at the very top. But this is like, wow, like it's an extreme example of like what can go wrong when the only thing motivating your actions is ego. It's crazy. Also, I love the guy that is the Homeland Security Advisor also fell for these emails. It's like, sir, what is your job even if you are falling for fake like I'm a Nigerian prince emails? Like what? Yeah, I'm a New York real estate prince, a.k.a. Jared Kushner. Do you want to come to a soiree at my house? And he was like, yeah. I know. These emails are so good. Good job, British prankster. Also, this, you know, these people are like way too comfortable, like working off of personal email, which to me, like, I don't know. I was like, maybe one day we will be blessed enough, not that I condone hacking, but to see like the emails of these people centering the campaign. And it will really be, like, it will really be something. Yeah, I mean, well, Jared's on Signal, so you know that's where all the real, like, good stuff is getting sent. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't even. These people. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, so that happened. Baron, get on it. Get on the cyber. Okay, so people who are supposedly of a better party are also up to no good. Oh my God, you're obviously talking about our, not our friends of the DCCC, useless in every way. So I think it's worth noting that the DCCC are people who dispense money from the Democratic Party to people running in house races. And we all know, we've talked a lot about how important the midterm elections are in 2018, how we really need a House majority again. Like, these are people who are giving out serious cash to that end. What have they done? These people have now claimed that there will be, you can't see the big bunny ears that I'm making, no litmus <laughs> test on abortion for candidates that they're fielding in 2018. This is infuriating for, like, many, 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 many reasons. It just, like, purports that, like, if you are pro-choice, that you somehow have this, like, ridiculous purity test that you are putting all candidates through. And two, honestly, it just, like, illustrates the point that, like, so many women made, even during the, even during the past campaign, that the first thing that goes out the window with the Democrats is always issues that relate to women. I, like, get it. We have to win races in some of these, like, red districts. But 
it is like complete bullshit that abortion is the thing that we like you cannot call yourself progressive and not be pro-choice it's just like it's not possible it's not okay i don't want to caucus with people who like who don't believe this i don't want to give money towards people who don't believe this and uh i shouldn't have to it is just like, it's complete garbage. And I, I think, well, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I think you and I might disagree on this a little bit, but like, it's my personal belief that I am not thrilled with, but I am okay with candidates who are like, listen, I, I personally like wouldn't choose an abortion or don't think I would. I personally wouldn't advise someone I love to, but I, I believe that this should be a safe legal yeah, I mean, option. That's like most of the men in the Democratic Party, if we're right. like, completely honest. So here's my the Tim Kaine. My feeling Tim about Kaines. that. Yeah, it's like the Tim Kaine problem, right? My feeling about that is that you're one hundred percent entitled to your feelings, but you're not entitled to your set of facts. It's like I definitely one hundred percent roll my eyes at like all of the Democrat Catholics and like all of the people who are like, I don't want this or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is good public policy and it is good health policy to let women be in charge of their own bodies. And if you cannot stand by that, then you need to get the fuck out of the way. And I, for me too, this is about like, what is your end game, right? Because like when it comes to other health issues, the Democrats are totally fine with highlighting what is your end game. When we talk about like the uh, Affordable Care Act and Republicans want to repeal it, they say, what is your end game? What are you going to do when all these people don't have insurance? Um, but somehow when it comes to reproductive choice, it's not, no one is asking, what is your end game? Everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Um, the end game is pretty fucking terrible for... Um, you know, a large, I mean, I would say at least 50% of this country, probably more. God, I read this on the same day this week that I read uh, an interview published by a friend of the podcast, Jorge Rivas, who interviewed a woman who is from El Salvador, which is a country where abortion is completely illegal. Presumably, if you are an anti-choice Democrat or Republican, that is a future that you want for America. It's not out of the question if, you, if you're like looking to ban abortion that maybe the future could look like El Salvador. And um, this woman, Maria Teresa Rivera, who Jorge interviewed, was arrested in 2011 in El Salvador after she was accused of having an abortion. Um, in fact, she'd had a miscarriage um, and the courts did not believe her that it was a spontaneous miscarriage. They thought she had gone out to get an abortion. They sentenced her to 40 oh. years in prison on charges of aggravated homicide. And she served a four and a half years uh, before attorneys were able to free her. And then after she got out, after those four and a half years, she fled the country because a prosecutor was appealing her decision, which essentially has made her the world's first abortion refugee. Part of the reason that we freak out so much whenever they field these candidates who have like bad voting records on abortion is because we know that like the party keeps moving away from their commitments to policies that treat women as economically, socially, politically, and professionally like equal in the law. And so that's why it bothers me a lot. Like who is making calls and sending postcards and like being like the the energetic activist that we need right now to make sure that the DCCC even has enough money or a leg to stand on? It's women. Yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I'm screaming at you. And <laughs> it's so in, it's so infuriating to me that like the people in the party who do the most work are always the ones who have the most to lose. Uh, I mean, yeah, I honestly, this is not I, I think that also there are people who are 
chill with this approach who maybe identify or claim to be pro-choice who are like, oh no, like even though I'm pro-choice, I'm fine with backing candidates who aren't, who like to tell themselves that once we have a democratic majority, we can mostly protect choice. Like, right, like these people are in our party. It'll do more harm, more good than harm if we have this as our coalition. And like history has shown that is not true. Like history has shown when you have a democratic coalition with people who are anti-choice, they vote with Republicans when it comes to legislation that would restrict reproductive rights. It's just like, that's just what happens. Like there's like, there's no historical basis on which to argue for this stupid litmus test party, a policy. We're going to keep an eye on it. We'll probably be griping about it very soon again. I'm honestly, I'm sweating. I'm so angry. (laughs) Oh, God. Do you want to take a question or some mail? I've gotten a lot of mail from like very, very, very vocal former Girl Scouts. Tell me about it. Do we do we misrepresent the Girl Scouts? <laughs> Apparently, and the Girl Scouts were lesbian separatists. Like we did not realize this. I mean, let me tell you, I if only the the Girl Scouts of my youth had been lesbian separatists. <laughs> my thing. Like, listen, I like totally get the mail that we're getting. Like, sure, we're both like not enthusiastic about Girl Scouts for a lot of reasons. But I really chafe at the fact that people are take things so personally that they're involved in. Girl Scouts is good for a lot of things, like cookies for sure, and like uh yeah, like lesbian separatism. But also, I think that it's totally okay to examine the fact that you're part of, like, a group, like, a groupthink experiment for children. It's fine to, like, be concerned about that. Yeah, and a few people have also written in about alternatives to Girl Scouts that are deliberately a little less groupthinky, a little bit less serve God in my country. Yeah, like, the one group that I love giving money to is the Radical Monarchs. Oh, yeah, the Radical Monarchs. Out in Oakland. I, like, 100% support the mission of the Radical Monarchs. There's, like, no cookies involved, but lots of, like, wokeness and, like, great kids. Oh, my God. LOL. I just Googled alternatives to Girl Scouts, and it's all right-wing organizations <laughs> that are, like, <laughs> here, are, here are, like, more fascistic alternatives to the Girl Scouts, not, like, here are Radical Monarchs. LOL. <laughs> That's really funny. That's really, really funny. Yeah. Um, so I guess the Girl Scouts are lesbian separatists. Uh, yes. I want them to lean into that so hard. <laughs> it's true. Do you want to read this piece of mail that we got from someone? Sure. Okay. A listener writes... I love you both and this podcast so much, but please don't lump the Girl Scouts in with the Boy Scouts. While they started out of the same movement, they're separate organizations. The Girl Scouts have welcomed LGBT people for many years. An out lesbian couple ran my summer camp back in the 90s, and they've turned away donations that require them to discriminate against trans people. On top of that, the Girl Scouts taught me my most valuable lesson in safe sex— During summer camp, we were taught about how big of a responsibility children were. We were given enough in fake money that would represent what you would get on public assistance. 
Then we had a list of things to go buy for our fake baby. After finding out just how damn expensive babies are, our entire Girl Scout camp was kicked out of Walmart. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. The, the Catholic Church has been at odds with the Girl Scouts for years because of their stance on safe sex and access to abortion care, condoms, and other methods of birth control. The Girl Scout Pledge has long been open to allowing any girl who does not worship the Christian God to replace that term with whichever word she chooses. Stevie Nicks, Oprah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> most, most importantly, instead of mostly camping, learning tricks to do with fire, learning how to do other things in the woods that would serve me no purpose in life, the Girl Scouts instilled a huge sense of leadership in me. I have to be honest, without the Girl Scouts, I would not be the person I am today with the liberal progressive views that I have today. So that's fair. But also, if you look into the Girl Scout cookies, like business model, it's very, very shady. So I think that we can hold both of those truths in our hearts. Sure, of course. Um, and man, maybe this is a good time for me to plug the Melissa McCarthy movie, The Boss, which is a which is like a pseudo Girl Scouts movie that is one of my favorite <laughs> stoner relaxation watches. Speaking, I can't, th- I, when you say Girl Scout cookies, it's like the only thing I can think of. I'm like, if only they truly taught business acumen. Shout right, out to- it's like teach those little girls how to spend their money. I know. Well, speaking of money, do you want to take another, do you want to take a listener question? Yes. Let's do a listener question. Okay. I started listening to the podcast last year after I graduated from the new school with a BA in anthropology. I was severely depressed, but thankfully getting treatment. And this podcast was kind, funny, woke, and grown-up voice in my ear that helped me believe everything was going to be okay. Oh. I basically sat on my couch eating peanut butter and refused to budge from New York City because I thought that going home was giving up. I now know that that was a huge mistake. Depression leads to some serious financial instability made even worse in a really expensive city. Now that I am doing better and have exciting plans for my summer, I'm facing the debt of late rent from two months where I just shut down and didn't face any of my responsibilities. Luckily, my landlord is actually really nice and I have some time. I'm working my ass off to pay it before my fun summer plans start. I don't mind working to fix my mistake, but the worst feeling is the self-esteem blow of debt, especially because it was caused by mental illness. I'm having a hard time navigating and accepting what I got myself into or the guilt of sabotaging myself. Maybe I'm just sending this email because it's a relief to tell women I look up to. But even the Queen Anna Sale on death, sex, and money doesn't talk about her own money struggles because she says it's too hard and too scary. So I understand if you don't have any answers for me, but here are my questions. Will it always be like this with my self-esteem and debt, guilt, fear, and denial? Do you have any tips for maintaining self-esteem and self-care while facing debt? Woo, that's a lot. First of all, I'm glad that you are feeling better and that you are through that period. And it sounds like getting some good help and getting things in a place where you're healthier and happier. I know that's kind of that's kind of the most important thing and also the only thing that really matters. You know the the other thing too that I would say is that like I I I 100% understand where that guilt and that shame is coming from, but it's not your fault. It's not your fault. If in the depths of like depression <laughs> you were conscious enough to say, "Oh, I should probably move back in with my mom and dad." you're probably not as depressed as you thought you were. That's the problem with depression is that it clouds everything and you're not thinking in the same mind that you're thinking now. So of course, like hindsight is twenty twenty, like a thousand percent. But the truth is that like that, you know, it's it's almost impossible to have that kind of insight or even if you have that insight to be able to execute on it for where you are. 
I'm so happy that this person's like landlord is understanding and and all of that stuff. I think that the only thing that you owe yourself is to see how one, you can pay your debt back and two, like knowing that mental health is an issue for you, like how you can set up a system so that next time this happens, because it's quite possible that it will happen again, that you have both like a financial cushion and that you have people around you who can help make those decisions for you. Yeah, I mean, and when I hear this story too, I think, would you be feeling this way if it wasn't mental illness that took you out for two months, but if you had like pneumonia for two months, if it was a physical illness, you know? And I think one thing that you can know is that the word illness is there for a reason. It's not like, it's not like it's, it's not real because it was depression. Like it's a very real and valid reason to struggle. And the fact that you have an opportunity with this amazing landlord to get back on your feet, it sounds like you're in a good place. <laughs> and it's, you're totally right about the planning for the future, but also like, I don't mean the answer to just be like, accentuate the positive, but still I'm like very, I'm very excited yeah. about like, you know, it's happy to get this email when it sounds like you're kind of through the worst of it. Yeah. And also like, you know, it's like, yes, talk to us about it, but like for real, talk to your friends about it. Like I, I say this like very candidly as the half of this podcast that is either like frequently like too anxious and too depressed to, to, to do work or is like actually has like another kind of physical illness that takes me out. And if like, and if you and Gina like didn't step in when you stepped in, like this whole thing would collapse, you know? And and that's happened like more times than I care for it to have happened in the last year. And the the only thing that I can say is that like, like it sucks, but like be vulnerable and tell the people around you like what you are going through. And, you know, even like, and it's hard because some, you know, because it's like kind of an invasion of your privacy. But the only thing that you can do is that like in the times that you feel better is to like mitigate the consequences for when it happens next time. Yeah. And the people who love you, whether or not those people personally struggle with mental illness or depression, those people love you and want to find a way to be there for you. And so, you know, I think that one thing that has been so helpful for me is like, A, recognizing the extreme advantage I live with and like not dealing with as much as most of my friends do or many of my friends do when it comes to mental health. But like also having an open communication so that like it feels very good to me to know, okay, well, like this is what's happening right now. It's not that my friend is ghosting me. It's that like she's going through a health crisis and what can I do to support her in the short term and in the long term? And I think that like Amina says, it's not the you know, it feels, and it is in some ways an invasion of privacy, but I guess for people who already love you or, and are invested in you, it's really nice to have an open communication about these things. So like, cause you probably know your own patterns a little bit. And like the more you can be open with people who love, who, who love you to say, okay, this is what the pattern is. When you see this happening, this is what I think would be good for me. And when you can have that conversation at a moment when you're in a good place, I think, that's, that is the best. And like, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny. I mean, couching this in terms of debt in some ways it's, I feel like we've talked about this before. It's like adulthood feels like there's always something, right? Like if it's not debt, there is a family thing. It's always another shoe. Exactly. Are you kidding me? And so being able to like wake up every day and say like, okay, like, yes, I have debt or yes, I'm having like a low key family crisis or yes, I'm having like, you know, a, a, an illness right now and but but being able to say like okay like this is this is like what I need to do and this is what my community understands about that I mean I think that 
like being honest with the people who love you about stuff like debt can be really powerful as well. And just sort of saying like, hey, like help me stick to this plan I've set for myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. We should do we should do like a whole thing about debt because it's so it's so interesting how like you kind of like never talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you like for me, like I didn't have access to loans when I was in college. So I like mercifully graduated college with no student loan debt. And I didn't realize how weird that was. Yeah. How like completely weird that was. Like later on to find out like how many of my friends are still in college debt and how much that weighs on them and how like how much of a thing that is was something that was so eye-opening for me in not realizing what was going on. And like and to be clear, like, you know, then I got saddled with medical debt and like family debt and all sorts of crazy things. But it was one of those things that I was like, oh, I really wish I had had this conversation (laughs) when I was 20 because I would have like different expectations and like better coping mechanisms for like how debt is a part of so many of our lives. And it's a thing that we don't talk about. I know. And and I also, I know we've recommended it a few times, but um, that book, The Index Card, has some great chapters about making a plan to deal with debt, whether it's student loan debt or other types of debt. Um, in a in a matter of fact way, rather than like a shame or like loaded way, and then it also has some like pretty clear instructions about like your order of operations, you know, like debt versus saving, and like how do you kind of balance some of that. And so part of it, when it comes to not the feelings around it, but the the practical stuff, it's like there are some good expert resources too, you know. Totally, and it can take like a long time to get out of debt. It can take a long time to save. Like you know how everybody says like save up like three months of living expenses and rent or whatever if you know so that like you're okay that took me like four years to do the first time I try to do that no joke just like having enough money that I was like this is going to be three months of if I get hit by a bus tomorrow yeah I have that in savings yeah and and I was so struck by like one how long that took but also like how much shame I had around the fact that I couldn't save and the truth is that like you can't save if there's nothing to save and also like being poor is expensive in ways that like we refuse to acknowledge or mm-hmm, talk about mm-hmm. yep there's so many like cultural like mixed messages about how like saving should be easy like the whole you know like I love Oprah like a mother but like she is like very responsible for this whole like stop buying a latte and then you could save to buy a house or whatever. It's like, mm, even if you drank like three lattes a day and you save that money for 365 days, like that's not enough money to retire on. Like that's crazy. I know. And what you say about the long term is so important. It's like, I, I think last year, my the beginning of my fifth maybe my fourth year as a freelancer is when I financially recovered from getting fired. (laughs) It's like, it takes a long, long time. If you had told me on day one, it's like, okay, good luck. You're about to, you'll, you'll find some financial footing in four years. I would be, I would have been like wanted to cry. Right. (laughs) But it's like, it is true that it's like all of this is a long game. Yeah. It's a really long game. And I think that the only way that you learn how to cope with it is by being open about your own struggles with money and talking to other people in your industry and especially your friends about it because a lot of times like they will have good coping skills for you. Like it wasn't until like I told someone like about the medical debt that I had that they like were like, hi, here's all these ways to like tackle different debt that you have. And they were like, there's this thing called the snowball method and blah, blah, blah. And then I became like a fanatic personal finance, like insane person. 
But you know, it's just like, it's a place where you do have to make yourself very vulnerable. But the truth is that like, the minute you open up to your, you open up to it and you open up to like getting advice and to being vulnerable about where you're at, like, there are a ton of resources there and people are really generous. And also, if anything, like you will find out that you're not the only person in this situation. And also like the fact that we live in a fucking society where you can be sick, whatever kind of sickness that you have and not be able to make your rent. And, it, you know, like and that's the huge fear to have says more about who we are as a society than it says about your own personal responsibility. Right. And so like trying to find a balance between knowing that the system is like set normal human beings up to fail. Like, let's be real. The system is not supportive. While at the same time, acknowledging that like things get better if you talk about them and like, you know, and that is a way of taking action. Like, I really do believe that like having some of those honest conversations with the people who love you about both, you know, health stuff and money stuff is such a good start. Yeah. So like give a key to your house to somebody that loves you. Start saving up, no matter how small it is, for your eventual, like, if I get hit by a bus, three months money fund. And ask for help, and people will be there to help you. And there's no shame in eating peanut butter on your couch. I know. I am, like, about to eat peanut butter on my couch. I'm like, but also I could be, I, but I could also be a little depressed. Now I'm always going to wonder. <laughs> <laughs> but that is some protein-rich food. I'm like, there are worse things you could be eating. <laughs> I know. I know. Depression is real, y'all. Like, yeah. depression is real. Mental health is, like, super, super, super important. And the first step, honestly, is just talking about it. Yep. Good luck, listener. Good luck. Do you want to take another question? Hit me. Oh, my God. This one. Very near and dear to my heart. I'm in a few women-only group chats on WhatsApp with some of my girlfriends. I have noticed in one in particular, which is mainly used to arrange workout sessions, which are super fun. Let me tell you, exercising IRL with your best GFs is great. Can sometimes descend into that particularly female trait of competitive self-shaming, mainly over food. For example, oh my gosh, I ate so much chocolate last night. Never going to be ready for bikini season. I know. I just had two McDonald meal and my hungover state back on the diet tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I find this really negative as I have a long history of eating issues. So these sorts of messages can be pretty triggering. But I know it's common part of girl talk and I don't want to stop them from sharing these. Probably silly just meant for a joke comments with each other. I guess my bigger question is how would you go about dealing with self-shaming part of this issue as I think that this is a bigger problem which has wider ramifications. Oof. Um, uh. So first of all, I don't think that it's normal to think that this is a common part of girl talk. Same. This is not normal. It's not normal on so many levels. And I have dealt with this on like many, 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 like in many ways, some bad and some like less bad. Generally, for me as a fat woman, if somebody who is not fat complains about being fat, I always will gaslight them about it. Well, and not to mention the fact that, like, I mean, I I don't personally have an is a history with disordered eating or eating issues or food trauma, let's be real. But I feel like as I've gotten older and as I have learned shockingly slowly how many women I am close to have struggled with these things and never talked about them, even though I've known them for years, is like now my default assumption is that if I am in a group of people, like some, a group of women especially, like someone in that group has like 
a history with this. And therefore, like, don't fucking say that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, even if you are, I mean, I feel like that's a convo for you and your therapist or like, you know, someone else who helps you work on stuff like on you. But yeah, you're totally right. Like the idea that this should be or is a normalized part of group dynamics with women is so dangerous. It's really dangerous. I think that one thing that you can do, because I think that you're absolutely right. There's so much disordered eating in our own like friendships and community and not having an outlet to talk about it is like really unfortunate. And I... I don't think that your therapist should be the only person that you talk to about it, but I think that you should be able to have constructive conversations about it. So something like, I'm never going to be ready for bikini season is very different from I'm really struggling with how I am eating right now. And I think, you know, it's like I want to make space in like my conversations to be able to have those real conversations because it's true. It's like so many people struggle with like disordered eating and secret eating and like all sorts of like, I think especially for women, we're so conditioned to to not talk about it because you're supposed to be perfect, which is why the fact that when it comes out sideways like this is so annoying. But I think that your default assumption of like, this is something that somebody close to me is struggling with, so I should be careful about how I talk about it, is 100% true. I wish we had like better models on how to talk about food addiction and, and body image issues in ways that were more constructive as opposed to always going to that self-deprecating place where... You know, it's like, really, if you want to play this game, there's always going to be somebody who's worse off than you. And also, it's really insulting that you do that. Yeah, and I think the line can be kind of tough, right, between not so much among this particular friend group where it sounds like it's more, like, lightweight or silly or people are saying this stuff without really thinking about it too hard. But I think even among friends where, let's say, most people identify as feminist and most people identify as, like, wanting to be kind of body pause the idea that it can be hard to talk about struggling with these issues, struggling with food or like feeling shame about your body while not wanting to mimic that kind of mainstream, I ate so much chocolate last night dialogue can also be really hard. You know, like the idea mm-hmm. of like, I want to share this with you. I'm really struggling, even though I know I don't want to replicate these narratives, but like, I still feel these feelings. Like, and I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I also, for this, for this listener, I don't know how close you are with this friend group But I would say that like a little bit of trust in sort of saying like, okay, well, maybe if I open up a little bit about my history or like what these messages mean to me, um, you know, I can't imagine that people who really love you would be so flip about continuing to send them. Like, I really can't. And I guarantee you that a lot of people probably identify with her, right? I think that it's almost that because you don't know how to talk about it in a healthy way, this is the only way that you can hint at it. You don't even have to share some of your history just to say, like, hi, like, I, I I, find this, like, a little disappointing that we talk like this. You know, is there is there, like, a better way to do this? Or does anybody else feel the same way that I do? I think that putting the ball back in everybody's court is really important because group accountability is, like, really big. And especially for women who work out together, like, you have common goals. You have common pursuits and like passions or whatever. And I think that the idea of like talking about exercising as a way to be strong as opposed to as a way to be skinny is something that a lot of people really actually identify with. 
And yeah, you're right. Like taking the first step to just be like, hi, I find this problematic. Um, it's not personal. Like what, what do you think? I love that. And I was going to say something about that too. Like one thing I feel like some of my close friends, you among them, like really model for me is when we talk about our bodies, talking about like things we are doing that are really giving us pleasure in our bodies, you know, like being like, I'm, I just bought myself the best silk robe or like, I'm taking a really long bath tonight or like I slept in or. You know, like I just masturbated for a full mm. hour and I feel awesome. Like whatever, whatever, <laughs> you know, the thing is like these kind of like lightweight anecdotes about like what is life like in your body, being able to share some that like model positivity instead of just like, you know, I did something that I now feel bad about. Like I, I think that there is something that can be also positive about a group dynamic in like reinforcing, you know, when I get those texts from my friends, I'm like, oh, I should do something nice for my body too. You know, like I, the reverse can be yeah. true. Yeah. Body shaming stuff is really, it's really, really tough because you're right. Like the line, it's like how, how you feel is 100% valid. Like that's the thing that I don't want anybody walking away from this conversation thinking. There are reasons that you feel bad about the fact that you ate too much chocolate and nobody should invalidate that about you. But also, like, there are ways to have healthier conversations around that and not contaminate everybody else in your group by the way that you talk. Totally. So, um, yeah, good luck resetting with your group if you feel like you're up to it. Um, oh, my God. I, this is, all of this has just made me really hungry. So <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go have this half of an upside down pineapple cake I've been saving, like, all day. And yes. It's like, that's what I'm doing for my body today. Uh, I love to hear that. I'm going to go get a big Sammy. It's lunchtime over here. I'm like, yes, all of that. I'm oh actually currently wearing a silk robe too. I just need to point that out. Like I was, not, <laughs> that was not an abstract example. <laughs> and I got the best caftan, but it's all white and like cotton. And I'm just like, what do you wear under this? Also, when I got it, I thought that it would not be white, white so that I could wear it to this wedding I'm going to. And now I definitely cannot wear it to a wedding. Unless you get like a really, I don't know, I'm a firm believer in the slip and like being like, you know, if it's kind of cool, like the fact that you can see through it, like see through to the slip a little bit is like, I think 100% on point with a light caftan. Oh my God. You've taught me so much about solid underwear. A slip. Duh. Okay. Foundation garments. <laughs> foundation garments, which I really, I really suffer. I like, yeah, that's like my downfall. My foundation garments are garbage. Also, I just never know. Maybe I'm going to Google this, but if you're a black woman who listens to this podcast, what kind of underwear are you supposed to wear under white clothes? Like I, like this has been, a, I'm 32 and this has been a mystery my whole life. Well, let's be real. You have been underserved by companies calling shit nude that is not nude for you. So it's like, this is I systemic. Know, but I'm like, is the answer the nudes? Like the brown nudes? Or is the answer something else? Like, I still don't get it. I'm just like, is this like, well, like, or white clothes on black skin always a trap? I don't know. I mean, I think white clothes on black skin look incredible, but I hear you on the foundation garment. <laughs> okay. Like somebody, please, Ianla, fix my life. Like, let me know <laughs> what I'm supposed to do. Ugh. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts or on Apple Podcasts, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. 
That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All other music you heard today was composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And this podcast is produced by the beautiful Gina Delbeck. See you on the internet in your foundation garments, boo. <laughs> you are the best. Thanks, boo-boo.